All right, welcome to the inaugural episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. That's tip as in tip off for the Minnesota Timberwolves and tap as in the best the Twin Cities craft beer scene has to offer. I'm Dan Hilton, front man for indie rock bands, Southern resident Killer Whales and Sender's Dream and former co-host of the First Team All Nonsense podcast. And I'm Josh Dye with the Convene Training and Resilience Committee and we're both super excited you're joining us for the only podcast in the world to focus specifically on the world-class Twin Cities craft beer scene and the stay-after-class Minnesota Timberwolves. And let's give you an idea of how we're planning to do this. The general idea is we're going to feature beers from a new brewery each week. We'll sample one or two that seem particularly interesting to us, and hopefully we'll build some excitement and send people to the breweries as appropriate. Uh, Are we going to crap all over local beers, Josh? Uh, you know, I'm not sure that I've ever had a bad Twin Cities beer, Dan, uh, but in all, serious, in all seriousness, we're more likely to tell you what we appreciate in each one, and some will find amazing, and that'll be quite evident when we talk about them, but our general experience has been that there's a tremendous amount of talent and quality in our local brewing industry. And it's a pretty rare occasion that we have a bad experience. For sure, there's one here or there that we're like, yeah, that's really not for me. But, you know, for the most part, we find that they're pretty quality and fantastic. And in full disclosure, for our first few episodes, we're going to sample beers from breweries that we've visited quite frequently, our personal favorites. So there's very little risk of us not liking them early on. And we will kick off every show with the beer talk. So if we got anyone just here for the craft beer content, you can always bail before we start talking Timberwolves, though we hope you don't. Uh, So what brewery are we featuring today, Josh? We are going to feature Inbound Bruco. Ooh, tell us a little bit more about Inbound. You know, Inbound actually has a pretty fun history that I'm not even sure that you're aware of, Dan, that Inbound originally... They were brewing before uh, craft brews could even open tap rooms. So Mm -hmm. they were brewing quality craft beer in the Twin Cities before the Surly beer passed. The Surly bill bill being the one that allowed breweries to open local tap, tap rooms that we enjoy and love today. And Inbound was doing it under the name Lucid Brewing. I did know about the Lucid connection, but I didn't know it went back that far. Yeah, so this is back right around 2011 even. Lucid was brewing beers in a western suburb of the Twin Cities, uh, Minnetonka. And it was just in an industrial facility. And then when the Surly Bill passed that allowed them to open a tap room, they decided that they were, uh, that Minnetonka wasn't necessarily the vibe that they were going for. So they decided to open up their uh, tap room in the North Loop neighborhood of Minneapolis. They're located at 701 North 5th Street. And when they decided to open up the tap room, that's when they decided to rebrand and become Inbound Brew Co. Cool. And, and, so and that's that's a little bit of history about uh, Inbound. And so now they're only brewing under the Inbound name. Uh, but they started off as Lucid Brewing pre-Surly Bill. Okay. And then to, about that address, to be clear, that's kind of like right in that little nexus where you have Fulton and you have... Um, oh, who's the other, right? Well, just that all that big modest is right around there. And it just, just sort of what I would call north of Target Field or the Target Transit Station. Um, 
So it's just kind of the nexus of a lot of brewery activity. And it's a really convenient place if you're, you know, in the day, you know, if you're, you and I are currently being very good uh, quarantine people, but it's a, it's a super cool vibe in the tap room. It's, you know, stop the press. You got a tap room that's got exposed ductwork above and a concrete floor and sort of reclaimed industrial space, but it is a really nice, it's got a lot of windows letting in natural sunlight. Um, and in the afternoon when it's not, you know, like around game time or the evening scene hasn't really hit, it's a super cool, relaxed vibe to just sort of sit around, chat and talk Timberwolves. And I believe uh, indie bands like Southern Resident Killer Whales have also performed on their live music stage back when we were uh, doing that kind of thing as well, right? You played a few shows there. Yeah, so that's like our third full disclosure of the day. But yeah, we, <laughs> but we wouldn't we wouldn't be talking about them, and we wouldn't return there to to drink often if we they weren't one of our our go tos. We've almost every experience there. They have a a, a wide variety of options. They do IPAs particularly well, but they also, they've, they've done some really cool, and this is a, a closed circuit to them, actually. If, like, I've really loved when they do something with like smoked, like a smoked amber or any, any sort of thing like that. And I think Inbound was originally their chance to experiment around a little more in a way that they didn't with their previous um, operations. So they do a, a lot of experimenting, um, but tell me what you are drinking today. Oh, Dan, boy, do I have something ready for you. It is the uh, Super G Love Shake, a milkshake IPA. And they've been making that for a while. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, know okay, I think it's kind of a, it. a mainstay on their menu these days. Yeah, and it okay. is available in uh, local liquor stores, but I thought I'd share like, you know, what makes a milkshake IPA different from say the hazy IPA or the, the classic IPA. And it is the use of lactose, unfermentable milk sugar and fruit that are uh -huh. the defining uh, features of the milkshake IPA. It gives it a more of a smooth feeling, uh, especially in the mouth. They say the, the mouth feel as they like to say. Hmm. The Super G Love Shake is made with Super Galena hops with lactose, orange and vanilla. Okay. And what are you drinking, Dan? Uh, well, Josh, I got the uh, and oh, by the way, inbounds are always tall boys, so look out because this is a this is a double IPA called the Four Leaf Cleaver, and uh, both of these, you know, you heard the cans opening. Um, they were not. We didn't get them at. We we fully recommend a taproom experience when safe and and it makes sense. But um, we we got these at local liquor stores. I got this at Liquor Barrel in Golden Valley. And uh, here, why don't you go ahead and sample your beer? I'm pouring I, my I do that. four leaf cleaver. Yeah, you know what's really interesting about this is from an IPA standpoint, you still get that blast of hops, mm -hmm. but it does have that uh, smoother feel. And one of the things that I noticed towards the end I probably noticed this because I read it on there versus my palate being sophisticated at all, which I would say it is not, but I do get that sense of orange uh, coming at the, uh, at the end on that, uh, a flavor coming late after drinking it. How about the, uh, would you say the four leaf cleaver? 
Yeah, and uh, I, I actually I, I did a quick Google search a after I took a sip here. I was checking out the IBUs because they seem uh, with international bitterness units. So like a uh, Surly Furious is maybe just a little over a hundred, I think, but that's like considered an extremely hoppy, extremely bitter beer. And this seemed like that to me, but actually it's it's only at I say only but eighty two. But it seems extremely hoppy, but also it's it's a nine percent alcohol by volume. So my, my Timberwolves takes when we get there should be like <laughs> rational and and fully formed. Um, but no, it's really really good. You know, and what the Super G Love Shake reminds me of a little bit is that you know there's been quite a bit that's happened in IPAs over the years. I think back to the uh, first IPAs that I really enjoyed which were like the, the Surly Furious and Fulton Sweet Child of Vine, the Dangerous Man House IPA, and even IPAs like the uh, Bell's Two-Hearted Ale that were some of, for me anyway, the uh, original ones that mm -hmm. I enjoyed. And even in Deeds, like Let It Roll and Let It Ride IPA, is that this actually takes me back more to that kind of memory of an IPA. I've been drinking a ton of hazies lately. I think that that's been my experience when I, when I go back to a more traditional, I say traditional because they aren't really traditional because you want traditional IPA. It's like when Summit had this IPA that was before their saga. And if you go back and try that, you're like, oh, this is like IPA from like night or like 2003. Yeah. But then there was that sort of modern, really, really hop forward and kind of more floral thing. But now we, there's so many hazies out there and we've been seeking those out a lot. I know when you go back and, and try something now, I would call a little more traditional, like a summer saga. And it's, it's a different experience. And it's just a lot more about kind of the, it's, it's a lot less malty, I think, than, I mean, with a, with a hazies, just, just really, I, I'm probably getting that wrong and the breweries could correct me, but I feel like it's a lot mm. more of a full sort of um, malty flavor where, just the, the other stuff I'm talking about is a lot more hop forward. But so Dan, do you believe you will drink the four leaf clover again after this? Is this uh, as solid of an inbound as you're, uh, you were expecting? You know, so I, I love inbound. This is not my favorite inbound, but you know, what's unfair is like the majority of my experiences have been in the tap room. <laughs> And I would love to give, have this beer, give me a shot. We're, we'll have to move this show to in the tap room when it is safe and our schedules permit, but um, it's a, a very, very good beer. Um, yeah. I'm trying, it reminds me, of, well, I'm trying to think there was a, uh, a conifer crush they were making for a long time. Mm -hmm. Obviously it was, had like sort of piney notes to it a little bit, but th there's something about the, just the flavor overall that's reminding me of that but very good beer yeah I, i'll actually say that i plan on having the i'd like to try new things as as mm -hmm. much as possible but i could see bringing the super g love shake into my rotation on a regular basis okay yeah i, I know uh, so i have the the beer passport the twin cities beer passport or the northern ale guide actually is what i have it is a passport my first visit last year in january after my birthday was at inbound and that was where i tried a couple of really <laughs> my wife drove uh so i didn't have to drive home but i at that point and i know you're really into like barrel age sort mm -hmm. of you know barley wine stuff and they do a really good job with those very 
strong beers. So anyway, all right. So if, if we have any more thoughts that occur to us as we move along here, we'll return to those. Yeah, Dan. So what's the deal with Tip to Tap? Why are we doing this show? Okay. Well, we were already drinking beer and talking Timberwolves. So this seemed like pretty low hanging fruit. Um, me personally, I'm pretty driven to create with being a musician and having done a podcast before this and whatnot. In terms of the beer content, you know, we, this is a really difficult time for all local businesses. And it does feel like anything anyone can do to shine a little light on these business businesses is a good thing. And beer happens to be a product for which we have a modicum of experience as much as with anything. I mean, maybe our, our amateur approach will shine through, but I guess you think like that the majority of their customer base is not going to be people that are doing beer tastings at, you know, industry events. So maybe, maybe what we say about these beers will matter to some people. So we'll see what happens. So what about the Timberwolves talk? The Timberwolves media in town is as good as it gets for mm. a local media coverage. So what are we offering in this podcast that these super, my, super smart writers and commentators aren't already providing to local Wolves fans? Well, now we come to it. So we, we talked about this concept for a while, right? And one of the things that held us back for a while is like, how would we differentiate ourselves? We're, we're not going to be as plugged in as some of the great local writers, Dane Moore, Britt Robson, John Krasinski, various writers at Canis Hoopus and so on. And we're not likely to be, you know, downloading a ton of stuff from Synergy and breaking down game film. I, we were, I rewatched some games, but and I'm trying to learn how to watch for things that I wouldn't have seen in, in the past as a fan, but we're just not going to be that type of basketball watchers. Uh, but, but we are following those guys. And I think what you're going to hear on this show is our takes on sort of the aggregate vibe. So that the takes on the take as it were. Uh, so that usually seems to have been pretty good for you and me to have a discussion over a few beers. So mm -hmm. we'll see how that goes. Um, and maybe we will see if we can find our footing through a handful of episodes and see what's working best and go from there. But, you know, and do we speak the language of VORP, DBPM, TS percent? Well, Dan, I, I personally hate acronyms because they uh, often alienate people who would otherwise be into those things, but because they like have to grasp the language, uh, may not embrace them as much. But yes, of course, we do speak the language of value we, over we replacement can. player or <laughs> defensive box plus minus true shooting percentage or effective field goal percentage and the other analytics that uh, help us better understand the game. And I think when we refer to those things, we will uh, respect those who are just kind of dipping their toe in the waters of the analytics mm -hmm. as well as be... Uh, very uh, comfortable for those who are always in, have their heads in the analytics as well. So it sounds like you're saying we won't be rigidly locked into the idea that say the value of a player and the joy they can bring to us is limited to what we can download from basketballreference.com. <laughs> you know me, Dan, I'm as much of an eye test guy as I am an analytics guy. I often uh, really experience the pain of 
a guy who really passes my eye test that doesn't pass the analytics test. And so uh, like any true basketball fan, I think we find that sometimes there's entertainment value or team cohesion value that may not be revealed in the analytics. And that's what makes some of the conversation uh, fun too. Corey Brewer. Corey Brewer, yeah. <laughs> like, did you want him off the team? That is just this discussion pretty much, yeah, starts and well, ends. He's with now that. on the Pelicans coaching staff. I saw so, that. Yeah. Um, so okay, we'll see. Checks and notes. Okay. Will we ever root for the Timberwolves to tank? Absolutely <laughs> not. Oh no. no. <laughs> Why are we even doing this? Yeah. Uh, do we think a season of basketball is pointless? if it doesn't end in a championship or do you, do we think there's value in having a fun competitive team that's easy to like? Ooh, not a yes or no question, Dan. Uh, do we, Josh, do we attack players personally? <laughs> Never. Okay. Does hope spring eternal? Yes, it must. How else do you survive as a Timberwolves mm-hmm. fan? And what a segue in terms of hope to talking about the draft. And frankly, when your team has a top five draft pick nearly every year, the draft is like your World Series. It's without, like your Super oh, Bowl. Yeah. Without yeah. a doubt. It, it's the most exciting time of the year. It's the time when the world is talking Timberwolves here in Minnesota, there's the draft day parades you get Mm. to look forward to and seeing everyone out there with their number one pick t-shirts. Yes. And the NBA draft spirit just seems to infuse the Mm. very air around us. You can be sure that the clerk at the corner store will leave you with a happy week before the draft lottery comment. And that the uh, icebreaker in every work zoom call will be, would you pick or trade down? And how many years ago was it that the NBA draft was declared an official state holiday? Oh, I don't even remember. I think it was shortly after we lost those three draft picks in the Joe Smith debacle. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think after that, we really got into, oh, we have picks again. But I do know that the kids look forward to the day off from schools. They can read up on zone coverage articles and tune into the draft day festivities on Fox Sports North. Of course, there's the old ones in town who will still talk of a time when the Wolves weren't in the draft lottery and when we were actually playing games in May. But mostly we just treat them like nutters. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, after all that, we must have a pretty exciting take on this year's draft day. Oh, Josh. Okay. So we're going to sort of lay out the vibe, which, and, and forgive us for presuming that everyone listening is probably aware of the situation. So we got a number one, number 17, number 13, uh, number 33 pick. And it seems to be a general understanding of our front office as these sort of wheeling and dealing savants and really doing their diligence on, on possibilities they've been pretty unabashed in their pursuit of stars. And so the idea that they would bring in some sort of third cornerstone to augment Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell hereafter on this show, Kat and D'Lo. And so I think there is a general consensus that if there was an opportunity, they would want to package the number one pick and trade it in conjunction with other assets, which almost always has to, includes James Johnson, just in terms of the salary he has, mm-hmm. and trying to go get 
another star. So, and I don't think you would find anyone in Timberwolves land that wouldn't be in all in on an idea on some crazy thing that we can't even quite you know, perceive at this point because it would be some sort of three-dimensional chess, but bringing in Ben Simmons, Devin Booker or Bradley Beal, like everybody's all in on that. And so we're not going out on a limb. We're not doing a hot take in saying that like we're all in on, you know, Devin Booker and the Timberwolves. Am I right, Josh? Well, you know, Dan, not maybe that hot of a take, but you did post a Twitter not long ago that if the Wolves don't trade down, if the Wolves don't trade that number one pick, uh, it's perceived as a failure that the draft is perceived as a failure. Do you want me to get the... Uh... Wait, 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 wait. I didn't, if I s- said that you were reading into something I said, so tell me yeah, the let, exact let word. Me, and this is, this is, I swear, not a gotcha moment. Mm. No, uh, bring them on. Not a gotcha moment. Let me try to find this here. It was a, so you posted this on November 11th. Okay. Tip to tap going on the record prior to our first time even in saying that if this draft results in a number one pick on the (laughs) roster rather than package in a trade, it was a fail. We have very little interest in a 19-year-old paired with Kat Uh, and Halo. Yes. So I'm not (laughs) – you you got to give me the month before the season starts. (laughs) I'm going to be a little – and and honestly, there's also the trade deadline. So there's a lot of stuff that can happen. I'll say this. Yeah. <laughs> a wise man once said, you got to let it play out. <laughs> I'm going to say that if, it, if their intent is to draft and keep a player that they're going to develop on the roster, that is a failure if they have not found a way to get rid of it. I agree. I, I probably went about that wrong. And it was probably one of those em, em, emotion driven takes that we're going to try to avoid. But I, I fully recognize that this is a very difficult business, this whole trade thing. So, you know, maybe it's something that they're trying to work before the trade deadline. Maybe it's even something that happens, you know, off season next summer, I would be personally, I'm going to be a little more disappointed every new sort of milestone that we pass when, something has not been done. I would be super excited if we had Devin Booker on our team tomorrow night. I would, you know, I would still be excited if it happened in January 12th, but like every time it doesn't happen, it's like, Oh dang. And I, and I definitely don't want relative to what I'm talking about here, an option of bringing in an established star. And we've had a lot of people on Twitter recently saying that they're getting sick of the talk about timeline but when I talk about timeline, I mean, this idea that you have someone in the sort of the 22 to 27 year age range, that's a cornerstone along with Kat and Delo. I think that's the ideal end point. And so if we got like Anthony Edwards lacing them up <laughs> next November, I'm going to be pretty disappointed. <laughs> I'm going on the record. That's what I'm going on the record for. So is okay, that fair? So Yeah, I think that is fair. And I, it's as reasonable of a view as any other. Yeah, of course, in an ideal scenario, I think for us, we've got uh, a trade that leads to a young, but like completely established star. So Ben Simmons, Booker, even a, 
a Bradley Beal. If we could package the number one pick and bring in one of these guys who seems to like really give us that third player that could take us to the next level. Of course, that's a, uh, an ideal scenario. Uh, yeah. I, and to understand that, like, yeah, if you don't want say a, an Anthony Edwards or a Lamelo ball or a Wiseman or a Halliburton, which a number of the, the local guys are looking into to see what kind of fit they are. You're kind of like, we don't want that. We need to find a way to let somebody else take on that risk in a year without a consensus pick. You want it packaged for something that creates more stability and right now potential. So I, I I've been pushing back relatively hard. whenever I hear people talk about like the clock is ticking on cat. I'm, I'm like, they were t- saying the clock was ticking literally a month after he signed a five-year deal. Yeah, I understand how it works and that it could be the his fifth year could be a nightmare of talk and speculation and he starts putting the screws in and the wolves are losing leverage the entire time. I get that whole thing. But I, I think this idea of bringing in a developing player, well, what I'm saying is I, I, I generally push back against that, but bringing in a player that's 19 years old that you got to wait. And maybe I'm jaded because of the years of Wolves bad track record in developing players. We haven't gotten to experience the Ja Morant, the Tyler hero sort of development curve here in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, if you, if you're concerned about cats patience, I don't think you're particularly interested in that sort of learning curve. You I mean, you bring in someone like, I, I think LaMelo ball has a potential to be a great future player, but it's like, you're bringing in a player and saying like, Oh, we've not seen this guy play against anything approximating NBA competition and already we're, you know, like, well, you know, he'll be great as long as we pick, you know, teach him how to pay attention on defense and, and fix his shooting form. Like, I just don't know. And we got two guys already that are, you know, a combined three years into fixing shooting form. I'm not sure I want And you're that. referring to a Kogi and Culver in that. I, uh, I am. Yeah. You know, if, if cat was, 19 or 20 right now it would be a great time actually to draft someone like lamello ball it would be sort of like zach levine and 20 year old cat but i just don't think that i i'm going my heart here it just doesn't not seem like the right time for that sort of move and i i will say that you know if you think simmons and booker bradley beal those guys are sort of the you know the pipe dream the shoot for the moon thing that probably is not going to happen you know i've, I've seen uh, shay gilgis alexander floated from oklahoma city and i'll tell you he's 22 years old i i think there's reason to believe that that's a guy in another year or two could be in the sort of conversation with a Bradley Beal, a Devin Booker. Mm. But right now I think a player like that is someone you might be able to get if you package say number one straight up and whatever, you know, I mean, he might even still be on a rookie deal that would make a straight up number one trade work without even having to throw in assets. So suddenly you got the roster you already got and you got maybe the next, the next, big thing and Oklahoma city. I mean, look at the trades they're doing. They're they're uh, All they want to do is collect assets. So they seem like they're really willing to do something like that. So th- that so, would actually be my, my, my thing I'm really pushing for here. Yeah. So let's back out here. I want to uh, ask you a question and then get into this whole consensus that we're seeing. And then 
kind of get your thoughts on the different options that exist. Yeah. And so my first question is really, or I guess my question on this is around, it sounds like your greatest level of interest other than the Timberwolves being successful, entertaining and, and winning would be you're interested in Kat signing the next contract here and that yes. the decisions we make today have an impact on just a smooth transition to the next contract. So we don't have all of that drama around the star leaving, forcing the trade, but that the team's successful, Cat is happy. Is that an accurate summary? Sure. Okay. And so the trade moratorium lifted the moment that we started recording. So it'd be interesting Uh-oh. to see. What has made our talk already obsolete? <laughs> Nothing yet, but okay. I'll take a look. But so let's talk for a moment about the consensus uh, that we're seeing around like whether bringing in a star, the front office goals, like what are the range of scenarios that you see based on, uh, you know, the possibility of the number one pick and, uh, and let's go with trade trading the number one pick. That seems to be where you want to go with some of your, uh, yeah, you're wondering what I've seen sort of floated as a possibility. Yeah. And, and then your thoughts on it. I, you know, I don't think we know anything. So there's two things going on. One is that Rosas, I think, is proving himself to be just, he he is in his element. He is not, any, I, I don't think anyone knows anything. So just, so there's a general consensus for the past couple of weeks that, oh, LaMelo Ball is everybody's number one. He's the potential or whatever. Just in the last like 36 hours, some goofball, sorry if you're the goofball and you're listening, but somebody floated the idea that like, ooh, the Wolves are now, you know, deciding on Anthony Edwards. No way, no way. If he is not, I think they're viewing it in terms of what is the best asset? Like what, not just what, do we think is the best player, but what is the best perceived asset by the rest of the league? And it Mm. is not Anthony Edwards. So not only are you talking about, they'd be drafting a guy, Anthony Edwards is this guy with talent through the roof, but a questionable motor and bad shot selection. And like, Mm. what, what does that remind you of? Um, (laughs) And so like we, they would be running, screaming from the room rather than draft that guy. If they were drafting for like, how is this guy going to work with the wolves? I would think if I were them, I would be doing that. And so this gets floated out there and suddenly everyone's talking about, Oh, you know, what are they going to do drafting Anthony? I don't think, and by the way, I can't hear drafting Anthony Edwards without imagining drafting the sidekick from revenge of the nerds. (laughs) was Anthony Edwards. Oh, really? Yeah. The guy is like, you know, where the, you know, the the, the exchange students like, what, what are nerds? And he says, we are <laughs> so not a guy you want at number one, I gotta say. Um, and neither is this Anthony Edwards, I think. Um, but I, all of this is when you're talking about like, what's the consensus out there? I don't think anybody knows anything except that they are, they've done as much research and preparation for this as anyone. And they would love to make a deal. That's what I think we know i I don't know if the consensus means much and i think the closer you get to big events this theory of like crazy times leads to crazy town the closer you get to a big event in the nba the hotter and frankly stupider emotion more emotional 
emotionally driven the takes are. And there's just a lot of people saying just like crazy things right now. And people making judgments on how the Wolves staff is viewing things. And like, they don't, A, they don't know how they're viewing things. And B, the Wolves staff has put a lot more time and thought into this than they have. Mm -hmm. And so I, I will say, and you know, you can feel free to elaborate on my old Tibbs, you know, Tibbs knows everything. (laughs) I know nothing, but I mean, I, I'm ready to fully put my trust in here again, where I'm like, these guys, like, I really trust their process, the way they're going about this. And I've never felt so confident going into a draft that like, these guys are going to make the right decision. I just need to wait and find out what it is. So I need to talk about I'm not like, I, I hope they're listening to this podcast. I'm going to give them something they haven't considered. It's just not the case. But mm. Tibbs knows everything. I know nothing. Yeah. So, Dan, <laughs> back for those listening, wondering what this is. So back in the early days of Tibbs. Oh, you're too kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's still pretty early days of Tibbs. So, you know, we things really started to to turn around and some at least from a, a winning standpoint and things hadn't devolved to the the level that they did and you were like Tibbs knows everything I know nothing was basically your or it was I, essentially I, like put the trust in Tibbs his head is in this he's focused on this he, he in, knows so in, more about in, this than I do that <laughs> I'm just gonna trust and here you are going down that road of potential heartbreak again again what um what inspires you to take that same approach now with Gerson Rosas and uh, some of the others in the front office around how they're looking at it? Because one thing, and this is not designed to be like an emotional take, but uh, Rosas came from Houston, which was under Daryl Morey, who was recently fired, right? Mm-hmm. And things are, you know, complete chaos sort of right now in Houston with just recently Russell Westbrook requesting a trade and James Harden requesting a trade and a lot of the uh, credibility that Rosas had coming to the Timberwolves was around Houston's success. And now they're kind of like blowing it up. Ooh, that's that a fair. Would the, that would be the counterpoint to like, what are you basing this trust on? And I'm not saying I don't trust, mm-hmm. but when I kind of step back and look at you know, we give Rosas the benefit of the doubt because he's not like this snarling, screaming yeah. Tibbs, but instead he has a much more stylistic approach that is a lot more palatable to somebody who lives in Minnesota. And, yeah. you know, he seems to like openly have a respect for the analytics, but a lot of the, a lot of the regard and reputation was around how great things were in Houston. You're, you're establishing your role early on as, Look, look, I don't believe the, the earth is flat, but I'm just saying that, like, <laughs> it's interesting, you know, <laughs> what do you hear about this? So um, my, my foil, I will say in uh, a less charitable view of my old Tibbs knows everything was things were starting to go south and he was making really questionable decisions like that made him seem nuts. Mm. And I would be like, I just got it. This guy spends every waking hour breathing and sleeping and eating basketball and like I Tibbs knows everything and I know nothing and then like it turns out that every decision he made for the last year 
was a wrong one and not the one I would have made. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna say that that was just a really weird weird, weird situation. Dan, um, let me. Uh, I do want to tell just a little story. This reminds me of a, sure. a story around the. That's also the counterpoint to what I was saying around. You know, well, like, why are we trusting Rosas? You know, he came with his fame. Now they're blowing it up. Sounds like maybe lucky uh, timing. Plus, you could also criticize what we did in last year's draft, where it seems like we were trying to trade up for Darius Garland, who mm -hmm. we traded uh, Dario Saric plus a pick to move up to try to get Garland. We didn't get Garland, and we ended up getting Jarrett Culver. Jury's out on Culver. So, you know, we also we a are, charitable also a charitable view but yes <laughs> yeah we are enamored with sort of the new that we are it's kind of like somebody who gets out of a bad relationship and then they're in a new one and it's like well at least it's not them you know? <laughs> and, but, and that's a great pushback but the uh but the flip side of that then is back in the day this is going back to probably the year 2000 so 20 nearly 21 years ago i was at the home and garden show at the Metrodome at the time. And I was at a booth exhibiting Kirby vacuums. Because <laughs> I, as I was going through college, was selling Kirby vacuums. And a former Minnesota Viking came up to our booth, a gentleman who went by the name, the Benchwarmer Bob Lertzema. Ah, yeah. And the Benchwarmer Bob Lertzema comes up and introduces himself as such actually. And we started chatting and he was like, oh, you know, are you a Vikings fan? And I'm actually a Denver Broncos fan. And I was like, no, Bob, I'm a Denver Broncos fan. <laughs> and he's like, oh, so, you know, Mike Shanahan, you know, he's your now coach and general manager. And I was like, yeah. And, you know, Shanahan had won a couple of Super Bowls already, but then he also became general manager. And he said, you know, one thing that's really a really tough role to pull off is being the general manager who has to really show a ton of accountability for like the performance of the players mm -hmm. and to make those really hard decisions and to be the head coach who's trying to be like the, I really believe in you and to inspire them in such a way. And so he, you know, now 20 years ago was talking about the value of you got to have a head coach split from a front office, at least as it pertains to personnel decisions, because how's a player supposed to take, you seriously in one or the other like oh and, yeah i believe in you you can do this and then they're like shopping trade rumors around them it just kind of can poison the pot and i do think that happened a bit to shanahan with the broncos in 2000 and you know with tibbs he was holding both roles head coach and president of basketball and he's kind of like the last last guy to do that like i, I think that is a general consensus in all sports leagues now that that is not something that should be the case right with the exception of maybe popovich um but he is has he, like is he still, yeah but yeah but I mean, he, he also delegates. has a very engaged yeah. front office as well but that would be the uh that would be the we are the argument for rosas is that you know seems to be seems to come from a great background and pedigree and will uh you know and hopefully we will have more success with our draft day or around draft time deals, because I would call last year, you know, sort of like a, I'm not, it was sort of like, a, I'm not going to say a swing and a miss, but a swing and a, that's not quite what we intended. Yeah. I, I will say so. So the original question was like, why do I have that trust given yeah. what you, what you just laid? I will say the last year's draft 
Rosas had not yet assembled a staff. Didn't he come in like a two weeks? I, I, I don't know. Don't put me on the record, but, but he came on not long before that process. It was, so I, I'll give him a little bit of a pass on that. I, you know, Sashin Gupta was not yet on the staff. He's the guy for anyone that doesn't know is involved in the, you know, he created the NBA or the, the ESPN trade machine. Um, and he's just, just sort of a wizard with sort of thinking moves and moves down the line. One of the other things I think when people are thinking about trade so often you hear it in terms of like, what could we package that this team would want? That's not the way these trades go down. They're, they're involving multiple teams and multiple, you know, and kind of the Rosas process also seems to be sort of building, you know, that there's that old story about the, the person that traded away a paper clip for, uh, you know, the, Paperclip up to buying a house. They, exactly. Yeah. That, and that's sort of their process as they're getting more and more valuable assets and sort of trying to build over time. And so not getting D'Lo last summer, but ultimately doing what, if, you know, in, in one year's time, getting rid of Andrew Wiggins, Gorgi Jing, and Jeff Teague contracts and bringing in, you know, guys, a, a cadre of players that can shoot and getting D'Lo on the team with Cat, and just I think it's been it has you know that right now the Culver draft has to be considered a, a failure but I the way that this that the staff have evolved in in analysis they're even bringing in they have that you know former head of research I can't think of his name but the former head of research in uh at the Mayo Clinic is our health and performance vice president or whatever it is on the team and so like having mm -hmm. them involved and in projecting how is this prospects health going to play out over time and being able to just look at all those all those things when considering different moves i just the process i will say is better than it has ever been minnesota timberwolves people say you can't evaluate the Timberwolves after the all-star break last year, because it was only 14 games. Those are 14 games. You had NBA players playing in NBA games on your team. <laughs> and yet people are trying to evaluate draft prospects based on one year of college against college players where they, you know, whatever. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot to go off of players coming out of college. There's a lot to go off of when you're looking at other players in the NBA. And I, I don't even know where I'm going with that other than, than to say, I trust, I trust this, uh, I, I trust this group and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be all in on whatever direction they go. I'm also going to assume that if they end up making this pick that their dealing is not done or that it is not intended to be done. Yeah. And you know what I can promise Dan is that uh, I, I don't believe I would do a better job than anybody in their role in the Timberwolves, right? Because like sometimes that's the funny part is, you know, like fans criticizing X, Y, or Z. How do they do this? I don't believe I would do any better job. What I will do is I, I will step back and look at how are they doing? You know, like mm -hmm. what are the mm -hmm. results? What worked and what didn't? What went mm -hmm. as intended? What didn't? And speaking of people overrating small sample sizes, you talk about how, you know, you just mentioned with trying to draft like the right player that, you know, they're taking these small sample sizes and thinking they know anything. I would like to talk about the Phoenix Suns' experience in the bubble. 
Oh, how, yeah. how much that is getting overrated by the Suns themselves. High five. And everybody else. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, it may end up leading to the, I think, pre the bubble happening. I think it's possible a Booker trade was even more likely than it would be now, just kind of purely based on, well, he seems to be an incredible talent, but they're not winning. So they might as well like shake it up a bit mm-hmm. to now where Phoenix thinks like, they're on the rise because of eight games in a bubble environment after like in the midst of a, a pandemic. And now Phoenix is like, has the buzz. And all those guys uh, in Phoenix were used to having to play in a bubble anyway, because that's, <laughs> that's life living in Phoenix. Yeah. So I, I tend to think that Phoenix is going to be bad again this year. I, I think and, that's an interesting take. I've been thinking that about that overrating that because like how often, and, and this is going to be a thing that I think we return to in future episodes a lot is people's takes after a eight game stretch, four game stretch, two game stretch, people mm-hmm. go nuts with these recency bias is, is more almost than small sample size. It's a recency bias thing. And, let's not forget the you know uh what was it the timberwolves went in their off season last year um jamaica it wasn't hawaii was it was no it, it was uh, jamaica wasn't it it was, it was a tropical location that's all i was gonna say <laughs> 10 and 7 baby they were 10 and 7 like what is it these guys and they're not even hitting their three pointers and they're 10 and 7 and everything uh, figured yes. out you know and uh boy you know Buy buy high on that Timberwolves squad. Buy low on the Timberwolves. Like thirteen game losing streak later, these sorts of things happen. And yeah, yeah. so the Phoenix Suns have an eight game win streak. Um, I'm gonna throw one other thing in here. So, in terms of what the Wolves are trying to do in trades, what do you think about? So we got our point guard, D'Angelo Russell. We got our yep. center. Carl and I, I would say we even, I believe Jordan McLaughlin, he's still on the team, right? Yeah. But I'm talking so, like they're starting, like our starting. I'm just saying we have, and we have a, we have a solid point guard and I think a serviceable backup too. So keep going. Fair. And, and I think Naz Reed is a kind of fun backup for cat and a, a, a backup. I'm happy to roll out. Sure. Um, but when we're talking about like our starting, our starting five, so then who you, we got basically a power forward and two swing guys. So power forward right now is Juancho Erman Gomez. That that to me is not your power forward of the future. So that's a thing that that's not your starting power forward going forward. Do you agree or do you not agree? I agree. Okay. So that's one thing that we're trying to shore up in uh, through trade or free agency or whatnot. But that's so a, a name that has been floated a few times is bringing in Aaron Gordon Morlando mm-hmm. and I am going on the record I am all down on that and I think people tend to have a view of him a I think he has a tax on his perceived value as a on the basis of his dunking ability where people think he's a lot more one-dimensional than he is I'm asking you to picture a really strong rim running player 
<laughs> yes, Josh is picturing this. I'm picturing it. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to visualize. I'm visualizing. A, a rim runner that's really strong and <laughs> ha is around Cat and Delo's age that is also a, a surprisingly effective defender. I don't think there's and, many people that would say Aaron Gordon is not a starter in this league, even if they're not way into him. And, and he may bring us yet another dunk title if he doesn't get robbed again. But <laughs> right. back to the more serious. Uh, <laughs> so you're all in on, you would, you're all in on Aaron Gordon. I, I agree. He's definitely a starter. In, and I, in I have the heard, NBA. I have heard it floated that it could be like our, like Jarrett Culver and number 17 could net. It like so it wouldn't require the number, number one, one pick. Right. <laughs> so, so imagine this team. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. This is this is crazy time, crazy talk. You got like and, and I'm way into Shea Gilgis Alexander. So you, you trade number one for Shea Gil Gilgis Alexander. Let's throw in 33. Maybe that's people would say that's too much, but I'm I'm all I would say that's like, too much, but let's go with but it. I like him maybe more than you. And I'm like, if one of those top three players in this draft becomes Shea Gilgis Alexander, home run. So given that, imagine mm -hmm. a starting five of Shea Gilgis Alexander, Cat, Aaron Gordon, D'Lo, and then oh, let's put uh well, no, that's that. That's actually. I was going to say. Now you got like Josh Akogi is is your backup. Well, and you're you're leaving out Malik Beasley, uh, which I oh, realize yes. things are complicated with Malik right now with some things that happened off the court. Um, so, what do you think the, the pandemic strategy is there? So, is is he a we sign him and keep him? Uh, like, do you think he, do you think he's a legitimate uh, starting? shooting guard for this team for us to get where we want which will be clear we think it's probably very unlikely the wolves are going to win a title anytime in the next decade whatever the team's <laughs> aspirations are but we yeah. would be very happy if they had a team that was winning 50 or more games for a run of year just be the best yeah let's think about so so you're talking we want a competitive team we want a competitive so team so your question is, is Malik Beasley a potential piece in, in that uh, scenario? So you've got D'Lo in your scenario, Shea Gilgis, mm -hmm. Alexander, Malik Beasley. Well, Carl, no. I, Carl Anthony Towns. Actually, for some reason, I have the idea that uh, Beasley is gone if you got Alexander. Mm. He's being so back. So you, well, no. you want to toss a Kogi in there? Act, I'd rather... <laughs> This is crazy. I'd rather keep a Kogi than Beasley. Sorry, I think I was leaving a player out of my. It's this. It's this dang four-leaf cleaver double IPA. I was counting to four, and I should have been counting to five. Yeah, and let's remember the double IPA is only about alcohol content. Remember, it has nothing to do with anything else. I know. I used to always alcohol. think it was about bitterness too, but it's really it's that alcohol content. That's but, it. No, I think so. So we're talking like we got our our front court of uh Aaron Gordon and Cat and then we got our point guard of D'Lo and then we're talking shooting guard of oh, Shea Gilgis Alexander and so we got what small forward are I, I I just think that if we have Alexander Beasley is redundant Akogi can definitely play small forward Okay, so you're starting five then. If you trade the one pick for 
Gilgis Alexander and you trade the, uh, if you trade this Jarrett Culver and the 17 pick for Aaron Gordon, you've got Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, Aaron Gordon, Shea, and Akogi as your starting five. Yes. And you're wondering if I like that. And holy buckets, I just saw that uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander is six foot five with like a seven foot wingspan. (laughs) (laughs) Just like every six foot five NBA (laughs) player. Yeah. No, not Malik Beasley. (laughs) (laughs) Is Jake Lehman still on the Timberwolves? Yeah. (laughs) So he's, so if you're looking at then a, he's a great, he's a great backup. I mean, do you like a a backup lineup uh, that includes or a bench that includes Wancho, Lehman, Nasri, Jordan McLaughlin? Culver's maybe gone in this scenario. Yep. So then you're, your quality bench players are potentially Wancho, Lehman, McLaughlin, and Naz Reed. So there's a nine-man rotation if you're Yeah. So so I'm gonna throw two other things in there. And this is this actually this is great. This podcast has gone a different direction than I thought where we're talking about potential roster construction. Um, so I, I don't want to spend much time on this because I just yeah. I kind of don't want to touch the whole Malik Beasley scenario much at all because there's just a lot of stuff that's none of my business on a personal level yeah but however that emerges it's hard to believe that they're going to be paying for malik beasley what they were going to be paying for malik beasley Mm -hmm. what they thought they would be two months ago so maybe it ends up being that he's somebody that is retainable for the the production that he's able to offer we don't know whether he will be on the team this whether he will be on any team or in the league, you know, this coming year, but it, one would think that he might be a lot more gettable or retainable. Um, Also the other thing, like one player that is not, we've never talked about much and does not get talked about much is Jared Vanderbilt, who is sort of that, again, that like that rim running, like scads of talent guy that has been doing a lot of great stuff. And, and, um, Worth noting a shout out to the Iowa Wolves <laughs> franchise that has just been like developing the heck out of guys in a way that we seem to be unable to do as much, you know, on the team, on, on the, the big league team. Um, but he, I, he, he's a guy that could be like a really nice sort of guy that you sub in energy, defense, dunks uh, um second unit sort of floating power forward center um so he he's maybe there in that second unit um but i i i hear like what we're talking here we're maybe a little light on wings you know maybe this is the year jalen noel i always i thought he was kind of an unanswered question last year so jalen noel like our 44th pick or something just a really natural score score he had like 45 percent or 44 percent in college from three and shot the lights out in iowa but every time he came up to the the minnesota timberwolves he did had a pretty lackluster game but it seems like he's a real talent that's still just kind of sitting out there and could be an interesting uh Mm. development piece you know backup 
third string. I'm, un I'm uninspired by a, a number of our, our our bench currently, largely. Mm -hmm. The and I was just pulling up the Western Conference here. And I know it's not time for preseason predictions yet, so I'm going to. We've, we've made some draft predictions or things that we would do. You would trade Jarrett Culver in the number 17 pick for Aaron Gordon and the would one you, pick. Wait, would you not? Oh, I definitely would do that. Okay. Yep. But you <laughs> are the just one. I like my daughter, Lucy. Yeah. You would trade. <laughs> <laughs> wait, no, wait a minute. Yeah, no, I'm on board uh, with that. But as I look at the Western Conference, now, Houston is just a big unknown as of the taping of this podcast, but mm -hmm. the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, they're all very solid for the foreseeable future. The Rockets, the Thunder, the Jazz. Um, you still feel good about the Jazz? God, doesn't it sort of feel like they're going to slowly blow up before our eyes? It's interesting, like Rudy Gobert was such a, everyone was convinced that he was like better, more valuable than Cat, and then they got bounced from the playoffs and suddenly, you know, oh, maybe the Wolves flip number one for Rudy Gobert mm. and people are like yeah, taking these discussions halfway seriously and it, it sort of seems like they're feeling like what, what what just something just big happened there and i'm not remembering what it is but i it's something about their them going like public with like realizing they've hit a ceiling or something but they're like they're well they were they, recently sold <laughs> uh, yeah there's that but i i felt like there was some sort of just reckoning that happened there that made it feel like they were going to blow things up houston is blowing up that's why i think these preseason predictions and this this is more for another another like I, said, I don't want to do preseason yeah. predictions but i the, the i guess the the broader point i wanted to make out of all of that was that you know the whole path the whole vision right now is the wolves path back into the playoffs is how mm -hmm. i look at it how do we get yeah. back into the playoffs on a on a regular basis or in the next year and not a one year not a one year thing like i'm not that's you know people that are anti-timeline talk like i am frankly not that interested in the 31 year old declining guy that pushes us into the sixth spot and then we're back mm -hmm. to where we started and now cat's 27 yeah no. but i just as we look at in the context of what how quickly does a roster bring us back into the playoffs uh you know the warriors are probably going to be back into the playoffs next year absent injuries how great would it be if <laughs> i just stranger things have happened how great would it be if they weren't like everyone is a foregone conclusion it's like oh steph curry was hurt clay thompson was hurt instantly they're back there was some evidence that draymond green really fell off they yeah. also got rid of kevin durant they're all they've also got a ton of hubris like all this talk about like everyone, if they could only coach like Steve Curry, it's like, well, what happened to Steve Curry's team when Clay, Clay Thompson and Curry were gone for a year? It's like, what if, how sweet, how luxurious would that be if, if Golden State ended up like the 13th seed? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to call it, but it would not shock me if yeah. they just come fell off a cliff in the way where nobody's expecting. So you're, everything is speculation, pre-draft, pre-trade, et cetera. And I think you're thinking that it's more, you know, it'd be awesome if the Warriors missed the playoffs and they were 
but we could, the reason I got into that and even just wanted to sort of get your perspective on it was like, in just does Jared Vanderbilt excite me in terms of getting the Wolves back into the playoffs? Oh. To what oh, extent no, 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 does, no, no, no. does Reed excite me in getting the Wolves back into the playoffs? To And, you know, so obviously we've got a draft ahead. We have plenty of potential. There's plenty of potential trades ahead. And the unknown of Malik Beasley and UC Wancho is a definitely a weak spot in the starting lineup. But you would love to maybe have him off the bench. Yeah, I, I will say that, you know, we've, we've experienced it's like of a starting five that is like the highest rated starting five in the league and have a bench that buries you so badly you can't recover from the rare yeah. breathers that you're platooned first. So, so that's why I'm just talking. It's like you want, you you definitely want to shore up those other ends, but I, I do have a lot of confidence in our regime. Let me just mention that, OKC has just traded Chris Paul to Phoenix for Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, Jalen Lequay. I don't know him in draft compensation. So Wait, we'll stop, take, stop, stop, stop. We'll take Devin Booker off the table for the time being. Because no, Chris, it like, Chris Paul was traded to Phoenix. Yes. And which would indicate that they're not getting rid of Devin Booker this year. Yeah. So, and who'd they get back for this? Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, Ty Jerome, I don't know Jalen Leque, L-E-C-Q-U-E, and draft compensation, um, reported by Ch- Shams. Um, so it looks like Phoenix is going all in on on this year because Chris Paul. Here's one thing people are kind of forgetting about Chris Paul: it's like everybody, myself included, just needs to take my hat off <laughs> to Chris Paul for like he yeah. was a wizard last year he was incredible but when was the last time he played that many games healthy even when he was younger mm. <laughs> chris paul does not have it he got injured late in that houston in the playoffs but i don't see chris paul as a guy who's perpetually injured but this also very much revises a prediction i made earlier in the episode i'm looking up his career stats to see how many games he played in past years phoenix will be bad again this year is what i said they're overrating the results from the bubble but they have traded ricky rubio and company for uh chris paul i i gotta take that prediction off the board i think chris paul makes them very competitive for a playoff it for sure if he stays healthy so here's pre 2019 he was just just was not only amazing but he also stayed healthy the whole year here's yep. pre-2019 chris paul okay. 82 game seasons 58 58 61 74 82 back in 2014 62 you know <laughs> but you know in 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 an age of nba load management which i get some of this predates load management yeah, I, I mean, you, you're you're taking him out for ten to twenty games in an eighty game season every year. That mm-hmm. matters, especially you just got rid of, you know, you got rid of some, you got rid of Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, you got rid of some guys that have that are positive contributors to your team. But does be, this also mean Shea is less gettable, um, or would they want to just? Does Oklahoma City want to trade 
And then, so he's of course, probably less because he's he's adding value right now, so he's probably less gettable, huh? But they are in full rebuild mode too, it seems. Uh, what? Uh, uh, not not Phoenix. Okay, C is. That's what I'm saying. Oh, oh, geez. I yeah, I was missing. See the the double IPA. I was mixing up my team. So yeah. yeah, actually, that I think this makes Booker ungettable, and I think this makes Shay utterly gettable. <laughs> yeah poor ricky but he seems doesn't seem like an oklahoma city type of guy oh i mean did he, he ricky gets along <laughs> ricky gets by wherever he's at yeah he does doesn't he <laughs> but anyway so that's interesting stuff stuff's flying but um yeah no this is this has been good i think there's going to be lots of good stuff to get to in future episodes as we start getting into like what's happening this this season i think what happens is people tend to it's again it's the sort of recency bias or whatever but how often is a team that you just like is consensus a certain view of that team and they are nothing like anybody anticipated you know 20 games into the season and and i think that that's going to be the case again and it's why it's such a glorious league and such a glorious sport to watch yeah well so dan will you give me then before we go the like what you see as the wolves top two maybe three offseason needs here as we head into the draft and kind of trade season as well i think we are missing a uh, for if you want to be a playoff quality team we are missing a starting quality good fit power forward and at least one wing that can get us there point blank. So, and, and I don't think, you know, going back to my very basic point, drafting a number one pick and keeping them and hoping they are, it is not, you know, year one of Anthony Edwards is not going to make you a better team than, you know, year three, Josh Akogi. or year five, Andrew Wiggins. You know? <laughs> um, and, and, and I want a better team this year. And I think they need to be a better team. You know, I think that the whole thing, you know, everyone talks about 2020, 2021 off season, and that's kind of where a huge cadre of free agents comes available and obviously better draft. Of course, we don't have any draft picks, <laughs> but um you know, I, I, this team, it needs to show improvement, especially it's a team that's going to be traded this year. And, you know, what, what, what sort of track record is the Rosas team going to have to bolster their case for staying on? And they got to start putting some butts in the seats and they need a better team this year. So Dan, is it time for another thing? And another thing well it could be we're starting to go a little long here i think we had you know we we had a little bit of an introduction about what we're all about um so i'll just a sneak preview at some point i'm gonna go on a real rant about how the nba everything about the nba is run so well except they literally are trying to keep us from watching the sport we're like we're willing to pay to watch the nba and they want to make it hard um so that's that's on a future future cast do you have anything you want to add on uh, sort of we were going to have a segment about sort of what uh, a 
popular culture, or in my case, probably a not popular culture <laughs> um, thing that is of interest to us. If, if it's local, it's great, but just anything that, you know, it's interesting we want to share going on in the world. Yeah, no, I think we can just uh, call it. <laughs> nothing going on in the world. <laughs> not as far as the Timberwolves fans are concerned right now, because it's draft, it's draft week. Yeah. Oh, well, that will do it for our inaugural episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. And I didn't have a full-time job and two kids and two bands. I think we could look forward to a lot more scripting. Oh, hey, Dan. Oh, yeah? Well, you, um, you started to just cut out just a little bit there. Well, you just oh. start over with, and that will do it. it I think yeah. it was more of like a internet buffering thing. Okay. And that will do it for our inaugural episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. Uh, you know, if I didn't have a full-time job and two kids and two bands, I think we could look forward to a lot more scripted bits. But as it is, we're going to be winging it a bit. And as such, if you, as a listener, find anything intriguing here, maybe give us a few episodes to sort of get our feet under us. I think our general thought is to do maybe an episode every two weeks or so, but I think we're going to play it by ear a bit, depending on what's going on in the Timberwolf world. Uh, Josh and I haven't talked about this yet, but it would be pretty cool to do a post-draft episode. Uh, we'll have to see how open your schedule is, Josh. Um, you know, everyone out there, you think my schedule is busy. Josh, uh, what are the ages of your kids? Uh, two weeks and... No, I'm sorry. Start over. Thank you, uh, Super G Love Shake. Uh, two months and two years uh, two... with my children. Not not a not a child that is two months and two years, but a child that is two months and a child that is two years. That's right. That's right. My kids, my kids are sort of like middle school and high school and yeah, newborn school. and toddler. <laughs> toddler is the <laughs> situation who's currently refused the toddler who's currently refusing to to go to bed, just like this podcast is refusing to end. So thanks everyone <laughs> for tuning in. If you th- you can think of anyone else who might want to join us for. Timberwolf and Minnesota Craft Beer Talk. Let them know about us on Twitter and anywhere else that you choose to share things for Timberwolves Tip to Tap. I'm Josh Dye. And I'm Dan Hilton. Be good, howl, and stock up on inbound beer for draft night. See you, everybody. Howl.